You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Thanks for coming back, those who did and those who didn't. Well, see in heaven, God willing, but uh, I'm joking. Thanks for coming back. I realize many of you got a long drive back. I got a long flight, so just so you know, I got, but um, thanks for coming out and staying and enjoying us. Thanks to the team here for putting us on for us. We really do appreciate you hosting us um, here at the church and just the people involved. Thank you for doing that. I also do want to honor the team that I have here. There's NCMI team members here. And uh, I really do want to just say so much of Scripture is all about team. It's interesting when Paul writes uh, to the Thessalonica church, he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And I want to say, well, hang on. Silas and Timothy are not writing that letter. Paul is. But Paul's actually highlighting we're a team. He's recognizing we as a team are saying, although I'm writing this to this church, we're a team. And I, I do want to just say God is a God of team. God is about team. And while I have the privilege of leading this team, I have some great team members on this team. And they're seated here, and I do want to honor them. So well done to you guys. Also, yeah, thanks for that golf clap. Golf clap. We'll take the golf clap. Uh, um, again, the pastors in this room, thank you for doing what you do. The leaders, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, well done to you. The saints, the sinners, you're all awesome. So uh, whatever you are, we want to thank you for being here. And uh, you got a Bible, let's go to First Peter chapter 2. I, I want to, in a sense, kind of give us a bit of a response to what I shared this morning. I realize I ran out of time, as we always do. Um, but I, I want to just highlight seven things if I can. <laughs> Notice I'm going with seven, and it's the biblical number. I'm working hard. It used to be 10, now it's seven. I'm working hard. Yeah, very holy. I don't know about that. But uh, just things to contend for in this region, in this season, in light of the unstoppable church. None of them necessarily knew, but I, I do feel like we need to contend. How many other battles blazing? There is a battle, and I know, well, Jesus is the victorious king, and he's done it all. True, but the battle's still blazing. It's blazing. And we're not called to fight for victory, but there is a fight from victory. And the problem is this, if we're fighting all these other fights, we're in the wrong fight. And we need to come back to what truly to contend for in these times and in this season. I've already prayed about it, so hopefully I can share some of those. First Peter chapter 2, and while you're turning there, Acts 9.31 says this. Notice that. And again, the message, I don't read it. Yeah, anyway, the message says... All over the country, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. It says the church grew and multiplied. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. The Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them. They prospered wonderfully. I love that picture of the church prospering, reverence and awe for God. Encouraged not just by each other, but by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us? And they permeate, they multiply, they grew. It's not about growth as in size, it's about impact. And there is a picture that we trust for here in, in, uh, in this region and in Australia of the church being multiplied and taking ground. And we talked a little about that this morning. But here we see in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it's, it's kind of a, a description of the true church. As the Holy Spirit has recorded through Peter some of the things that God himself says about his church. Verse 4, it says, As you come to him, 
the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, but you, but you, that's them, but you are a chosen people, a people of dignity, notice, chosen, chosen. The church needs to know we are chosen. Dignity literally means a select race or an elect race, chosen. You are a select race, chosen by God. A royal priesthood speaks of destiny. Not only dignity, but destiny. A people of destiny. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Holy nation. Separate, distinct. The emphasis is on holy. You know, we are holy people. A people set apart for God. A different people. It has surprised me, to be honest, and I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just observing, how we're far more comfortable with our sinfulness than we are with His holiness. Holy, different, separated, holy, different. That's how He sees His people. Not like the world, separate, holy. You holy because our God is holy, and we've been called to be a people of holy. Friends, we can come boldly and with confidence to a holy God who's made the way for us to be holy. But we cannot get comfortable with sin in the church. I'm not speaking on that this afternoon, but I am saying stop sinning. It seems, I mean, pastors and leaders, and again, I'm not pointing fingers because it could happen to me standing here today, but we've, we've seen people fall away and fall away. We should not be surprised if we're comfortable with sin and not holiness, we're going to fall. When he looks at you and I, he sees holy, holy God made a way for us through his son for us to be holy. So let's get comfortable with holiness and let's get a little more uncomfortable with sinfulness. Not to the world, to the church. A people, goes on to say, a people belonging to God. I think Matt's started this, morning, this afternoon session about we belong to God. Or we belong. You know, if you belong to Him, that means He owns you. I love that. Oh, I belong to God and I belong to the church. But if I belong to Him, it means I belong to Him. He owns me. He owns you. We've been purchased with His blood. We belong to someone, not just to the church, to Jesus. A belonging, a people who belong to God, that we may declare the praises of Him. 
People declaring the church is to proclaim his wondrous deeds, to show forth the glory of the Lord and to make known his gracious dealings with his people. The word declare literally means to advertise. Do you know that you and I are billboards for the Lord? You are a walking billboard. I wonder what advertising is coming through your life. We, the church, are a billboard and wonder what's coming out. Is it political? Is it anti? Is it what? Or is it representing and advertising this great God who's been so gracious to us? Are you there, friend? You're a walking billboard. And I wonder what you're advertising to those around you. I wonder what we advertising, what NCMI is advertising. Is it church planning or is it going to the nations or, or is it Jesus declaring and showing the glory and the wondrous deeds and what he's doing in us and the graciousness of our God in every, every moment. It's not the doing, it's the advertising. I'm surprised by how many people recently have passed away in, in ministry and and here's what I want to say. It's so sad that they remembered for their last moments rather than the legacy they gave their lives to. Guys who served God 50, 60, 80 years, ministries all over the world impacting. And then in their last kind of breath, they got in the wrong battle, and that's what they're known for. Don't get off the wall and get into the wrong fight. Stay true to the call, known for being a billboard who declares the goodness of God in our lives and through our lives and in the ministries we're involved in. The word declare means to advertise. You see, I think the future of Christianity is not extinction, it's clarification. Christianity is not going to be extinct. It needs to be clarified. People don't know what it means to be followers of Jesus. They know what the church is against. They know what we're anti. They know, but they don't know what we're about. Let's get about it and be the billboard that people will find Jesus in everything we say. And everything we do. It says, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Speaks of a people who are delivered, set free. We were in darkness. We no longer. We've been set free, my friends. When the Lord looks at his people, the church, we are delivered people. Delivered from the stuff that many of us are still carrying. Let's get free. Let's stay free. Let's keep others free because we're free. How do you know you can't pick people into freedom if you're not free? As leaders and as the church. So we are delivered. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens <laughs> and strangers. See, God doesn't look at you as the world. He looks at us as strangers and aliens in this world. We're still in there. We're still connected, but we're not of this world anymore. Strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among your pagans that they may accuse you of, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify God on the day he visits. We are devoted people. We're devoted. You know, as the body of Christ on earth, I believe we, the church, have a key identity to keep us accomplishing our mission. When we lose our identity, we lose our sense of mission because we become part of the world. Can I just say this? If we are not different, we have nothing different to offer. 
That's something of how God sees us. His church. Description of His church. You and I seated here this, this afternoon. And so into that context, I want to just give us seven. <laughs> seven things. Why are you laughing, Matt? I'm allowed to laugh. Seven, because I can. I can laugh at my own preach, okay? Quickly, and, and some of them have already been covered, but I just want to go a bit deeper in some of them, and we'll see where we land. Seven things to contend for in this region, in this season. Number one, we need to contend for our revelation of Christ. Now, I know I talked about Jesus already, and I said that he's the master, but how many of you know to say that doesn't mean he is? And what I want to say to you and I, because I know there's young and old, and those of you who feel old, I also feel I'm an old person too, so we, it's relative. Depends how, put your hand up if you're old. I mean, you got, you got 13-year-old, 15, 17, 19-year-old, and you got 100-year-old dudes at the back there and, and whatever else you're in. Sorry, I just lost you. Elodie, how's your pops? I'm only kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. Uh, sorry, mate. I'm just joking. I'm kidding. We have fun. Yeah, all right. Let's move on. I've lost you already. There's a pool if you're dozing off, sir. All right, so I'm kidding. It's just we are mates. I'm glad you came back for this session, though. I had to pick someone, and it just happens to be you. But uh, anyway, the point I want to make in all of this, what is your point, Tyron? Is that we need to contend for our revelation of Jesus. We've got to keep on contending, not for each other, for our own revelation of who Jesus is. You see, we've said this, a correct view of Jesus gives you a correct view of everything else. If your view of Jesus is wrong, then your view of everything else is wrong, including the church, including your view of mission, including your view of each other, your view of marriage, your view of your child parenting. Every other view is wrong if your view of Jesus is wrong. Our Christology determines our missiology, and our missiology determines our ecclesiology, and our ecclesiology determines our eschatology. And that's very impressive, is it not? And for us simple people here, this is what it means. Our revelation of Jesus determines our mission. Know that. We can talk mission. We can get people up here and talk about mission, mission, mission. But if your revelation of Jesus is right, then you will live mission. Jesus' disciples were beheaded, betrayed. They did all this stuff not because of a mission, because of their revelation of Jesus. Deny Jesus. No, cut my head off. Why? Not for mission, because I know him. I've been to regions where people are beheaded for their, not mission, for their belief in Jesus. It's not something you can catch. It's something you've got to contend for. But also end times, and there's a lot of us end times come alive over COVID. This is it, Mark of the Beast, and here we go, and the 666, and passports, and vaccines, and, and I, you can do your thing. I want to just tell you this. Your thing's wrong if your view of Jesus is wrong. Are you with me? You know that, yeah, okay, just... <laughs> Do you know the Antichrist doesn't bring the end? The preaching of the gospel to the nations is what brings it. It's always Jesus that comes into focus of what it is. How do you endure? I mean, how many people have fallen away in this last crazy season? We know people, maybe from these churches, from your friends and mine, who've just fallen away, lost their minds. Leaders and pastors and just wonderful people, just gone. What happened? They lost their way. How do you endure? How do you stay inspired? Where does your hope come from? Where does your courage come from? Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
If it's anything or anyone else, if your anchor, my anchor's in anyone else, it's over. And you know, shaking reveals what you're anchored to. And we went some shaking, and guess what? Many people have fallen because their anchor was in stuff or ministry or people rather than Jesus. But we've reconnected with our bridegroom king, as I said earlier. Now, my dear friends, our anchor needs to stay in Jesus, and we need to contend for our revelation of Jesus in everything, Jesus first in all things. You see, our inheritance is not just wrapped up in each other, and I'm super grateful for each other, but it's not about you and it's not about me. Our inheritance is wrapped up in Jesus. And the way we lose, we lose our way when we lose our why. We lose our why when we lose our wonder. And can I say this? Jesus is our way, he's our why, and he's our wonder. He is the one we've got to keep contending for and that revelation of those things. The main thing is to keep the main one, the main thing. Not the main thing, the main one, Jesus has to be. And I, I'm not a scholar by any means, but I have done some church history study because I, I want to be one of those guys who learn. Someone said that history repeats itself because no one listens. Well, I want to listen. I want to learn. And can I tell you what we find that church and people who've done some stuff in church history, who pioneered and started some radical stuff, the first generation were people who had revelation of Jesus and stepped out in absolute against persecution, but they stood their ground. And, but what you find is most next generation people seem to lose their way through what they, they inherited. And you'll find out why is that many of those movements that were started by men and women, first generation who had revelation of Christ, and the next generation built relationship with the first generation, but they didn't have their own relationship with the Jesus of the first generation. So if we're going to build anything of substance, if we're going to truly hold true to the call and generations after us are going to keep coming, it's going to be their revelation of Jesus, not our revelation and hope they get it. My sons, a couple of them here in the room, and you know, friends, I, I'm, I've got some rules when they were younger, don't want you to date. I'm just telling you, ladies, stay away from my sons until you're going to get married. I'm joking. Well, I'm not, but, <laughs> but some of my boys de defied my words of no kid, don't want you to date. And you know, I grew up in a house where my dad said, don't date. I was like, cool, dad. I had a few girlfriends because I could, not because rules don't matter. Just, I've just lost half of you. <laughs> And I was really unhappy with one of my sons who was dating, and it was cool, but it was not, never going to be, and they will tell you it wasn't God, but the, anyway, sorry, Joel. Um, <laughs> but here's what I did. I was like, Joel, I don't want you to be alone with her, and I don't want you to be in this, and all the concerns I had, and I felt the Lord say, if you get your son closer to the light, he'll stay away from darkness. In other words, get him to have his own revelation of Jesus. Then you can sleep well at night not worrying about what your kids are doing. They can't run their dad's rules or their house rules or even church leaders. Listen this afternoon. You can't have your people running around with your rules. Your rules are your rules. They need their own walk. And as they're close to the light and as generations behind us get closer to the light, guess what? They will stay away from darkness. But not because we say so. Not because the church says so. Not even because the Bible says so. Because they have their own relationship with someone who they're walking with. We've got to keep on making sure People are finding Jesus, not us. The world says more things, as I said. Jesus says one more thing, more of me, not more stuff. 
I was in a meeting and was singing, it was great, and I felt the Lord say this, you all want more of me, but none of you want all of me. I'm thinking, what? I want all of you. You know what? The problem with this, more of you means add him to you. All of him means you have to change everything to be, come like him. And maybe we sit here today and go, yeah, give me more. He doesn't want more. Do you, do you want all? All means change to be more like him. That's what we're going to keep contending for, I believe. Here's the reality, friends. Listen to this, please. If we're not intentionally being formed by Jesus himself, well, then we're unintentionally being formed by someone else or something else. Contend for your revelation of Jesus. Secondly, contend for a greater reliance on his power. Now, I'm going to get, I'm going to land with this one because I feel like maybe God wants to do some stuff when we get to it. But, but just Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know what he was saying? It's not the might of your people. In other words, he was saying to King Cyrus, look at all your people. Listen, leaders. Listen, churches. We think it's based on how big we are. He said, you'll never be big enough. It's not by the might of your people, nor by power, not by your position as king, only by my spirit. Not a spirit. Can I say not even this spirit, my spirit. And the reason I say that, it would seem that the church has been captivated by the spirit of this age more than the spirit of Christ. Philip Yancey said, a society that denies the supernatural always ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. That is so evident in the church that if we don't make room for the supernatural, we take natural people, gifts, preachers, pastors, and we put them at supernatural status. You know what the Lord does? He takes them out. Why? Because you cannot replace God. I will never... We need supernatural. And so if we don't have room for supernatural, the natural's taking the place and God will shake it up. And I just want to say, look around what he's doing. Things are getting shaken because people have faith in people rather than in him. Gen Z, and I don't want to label you Gen Zs. I think I'm Gen Z even though I'm not. But Gen Z, they say, and I don't know who's they, but it practically helps me this afternoon. Gen Z is the most anti-church generation, but they're the most spiritually open generation. And now they're saying that most Google word in, by Gen Z is, who is Jesus? And their second most Googled word right now is, what is the Bible all about? Can you, can you just imagine church? Church, wake up. They're more spiritually open than anyone else. Now they're asking, who is Jesus? And they want to know what the Bible's about. Church, fix it. Jesus, Spirit, Word. Watch Gen Z, who are anti-church, come running back to the church. Just again, we don't have to activate him. We don't have to invite him. We just need to honor him. Thirdly, we're going to come back to that, God willing. Third thing to contend for, contend to remain true to his call for you. Are you there? His call for you. This is a big deal, friends. The pressure on every one of us to become what others want us to be or what people tell us we should be. And, and I want to just tell you, that is fake when you're something you're not supposed to be. 
We have to contend in this region, in this season, to be who He has made me to be and who He's called me to be. And every local church should have a freedom to express the way God has called them to express rather than everybody trying to be like everybody. We all want to be more like Jesus. That's it. That's the measurement. Not everybody act like everybody, dress like everybody, be like everybody. And the pressure on us to be someone else. I want to challenge you. Stay true to who God called you to be. So many people are trying to fight the battle with Saul's armor. Be who God's called you to be. We've got to contend for that. Who he is. You know, three guarantees. God loves you, the devil hates you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. That's fact. And it's not God has a plan for my life. People preach God has a plan for you. It doesn't. It's actually my life for God's plan. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul writes, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11, he says, We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of His calling. So can I just say this? Hold tightly to the calling, but loosely to the expression. We hold tight to our call, but how it's expressed and what we're called to do can change. And can I just overview quickly for every one of us this afternoon, young and old, that I believe there are four questions to ask and I, when it comes to calling. Because I've studied this. I'm not a scholar, but I've looked at calling because we've got leaders who hold on too long. We've got pastors who won't retire because we don't believe in retirement. So everyone holds on until they die or the church dies. And because No, seriously, because we are... We don't retire, and there's no retirement in the kingdom, but there's a change in roles, and it doesn't change your call. So if we can settle calling, then we can serve anywhere, do anything, and serve God till Jesus comes back. So I've looked at Scripture and said, okay, what does it look like? I think there are four questions to ask, and know this about calling. There's general calling for all believers, and there's specific calling for individuals. And if all of us are honest, we're all here saying, what's the specific call for me? Because we all want that. But if you're not faithful in the general calling, you'll never find your specific calling. We've got to be faithful in everything we're all called to. And in those moments, God begins to reveal something of what He has called you personally to. So four questions to ask to help understand calling. Number one, who am I called to be? Who am I called to be? Secondly, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? Thirdly, where am I called to serve? And fourthly, how am I called to serve? How am I called to serve? Is that, is that okay? I don't want to restrict you. I want to liberate you. I, I wish I knew this when I was younger. Who am I called to be? What am I called to do? How am I called to serve? And where am I called to serve? Okay? Now, here's the kicker of it all. Who am I called to be never changes. It's not tied to a position or to a role or to a place or to anything. Who you called to be will never change. That's why Paul writes, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So who you called to be, you've got to come to that place of settling, this is who God's called me to be. You can celebrate others when you know who you're supposed to be. You can actually settle in the call of God, not settle, do nothing, but settle, this is who I'm called to be. 
But can I say then, when you settled who you're called to be, what am I called to do can and does change? Where do I serve and what do I, uh, what did I say? Sorry, what am I called to do? Where am I called to serve and how am I called to serve? Those things change all the time. Am I, am I making any sense here? This is not, wow, this is profound to liberate us in every moment of our lives. Who am I called to be never changes. Where am I serving? What am I called to do? And how am I called to serve? That'll change all the time. But it's based on who you're called to be, not based on where you're serving. So your position, your title, all those things mean nothing except it's an expression of the calling of God in my life. So you can serve God in all capacities. You can transition, hand over churches. You can move on. You can stand. I don't lead a local church. My, my calling's not in the church. My calling's in what God's called me to be. You say, well, where's that in Scripture? Thank you for asking. Paul, a great example. Paul began in the early, early church, book of Acts. He went and he preached the gospel to these regions and those regions, right? Living in his call. The book of Acts ends with Paul inviting people to come hear him preach the gospel in a borrowed house, rented house, where he was not able to travel. He was able to operate in his call, but where, how, and what changed, but not who. So don't get caught up in where you're serving and what position you carry in the church and why aren't the elders recognizing me and why doesn't Tyron recognize me for NCMI team and all that stuff. Let God make room for that. Just be true to who he's called you to be. And let him worry about the rest of it. And your position means zippo when it comes to understanding your call. So whether you're an elder or not, and we got, and I mean, there's an argument of women who want to be elders and men, and there's this fight. It's because we've made a position, the game, the aim, rather than the call of God. Live the call of God. Just be free to be who God's called you to be. Settle that and then thrive anywhere, everywhere, wherever God's putting you. But there are leaders, there are elders in this room who lead local churches. I want to challenge you this, this afternoon. Be true to who God's called you to be. Don't be another whatever. I don't even know what to name anymore because they're all in trouble and I just don't want to say about it. Whatever your thing is, don't be that. Be you. You're not NCMI, you, you. NCMI is a team you partner with, but you, you. Your church is autonomous, individual. It's you leading God's people the way he's called you to express it. So we can learn from each other, but don't be anyone but you. Stay true to the call. Otherwise, my friend, generations behind us are gonna inherit a whole bunch of nonsense because we got comfortable with what others are doing rather than staying true to the call of God for us. Leading NCMI is no joke, and it's by the grace of God. But my biggest challenge is to keep us who God's called us to be, because everyone wants us to be something else, including me. But my big challenge, our challenge is who's God called us to be. We can't be someone else. We've got to be us. Not because we're happy, because that's what God said. So we've got to contend to stay true to who God's called you to be. Number four, contend for your responsibility, your mission. Mission. We talked a little about that. I want to just say the church is not a waiting room for heaven. Bored soldiers are very dangerous because they end up fighting each other. Because we were made for mission. And if we're not on mission, we're going to end up taking each other out and just look around. People are taking each other out. I mean, the stuff we've gone through has been crazy. <laughs> Social media, 
I don't know what to say. Get off it, maybe. I'm off social media. Not because I'm scared of it, because I get so mad at all my friends for what they're posting. I'm like, have you lost your mind? Have you read the Bible? My team members, I'm like, what are you doing? Pictures of you and your, well, anyway, we're doing. <laughs> and now it's like we're anti and we're against government and we're against vaccines. I mean, listen, you got your thing, good on you. Keep it to yourself. Now, I know some of you are mad, just hear me out. As I, I've said this and it's got in a lot of trouble for saying this, but let me say it and get in trouble again. Social media may not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has enabled the dumb to speak. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? I appreciate the applause, but most of you clapping, you're probably the dumb one speaking. <laughs> and I say that as graciously as I can. Stop telling us what you think about everything. You're dividing each other. In the church, we're taking each other out. We were created for mission. If you big picture, you need everyone. If you small picture, you hate everyone. And we got bored soldiers, born, ready to fight, and we just don't give them anything to run at, so they're shooting each other, and we wonder what's going on. If we're not on mission, we'll find ways to damage each other. Now, the early church, they functioned like a lifeboat. But I think today's church functions like the love boat. It's all in it for me. What's on the mission? What's on the... This is not for us, friends. This is for him and for those who've yet to be reached. The Spirit of Christ, I believe, is a spirit of mission. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missional we become. Can I also say world evangelization is a fantasy if we don't plant churches. I'm not here to tell you we need to plant churches. I'm here to tell you the Bible says we must plant churches. Oh, NCMI, not NCMI, Bible. If you're serious about world evangelization, then you're serious about church planting because it's God's strategy to reach the world is to go and multiply and plant churches. It's not so we have more churches, so we can get this job done so our king can come back. And so I want to just say it's awesome to begin to see more Aussies and the more of Australia in our ranks planting more churches. We've got some churches being planted, and I'm grateful. But that's not it. There's more. God's stirring us. The unstoppable church has to be a church multiplying, church planting, establishing uh, lighthouses everywhere, and then multiplying and continue. We've got to keep doing this. Recognize, raise up, release, repeat. Recognize, raise up, release, repeat. Not for the sake of NCMI and numbers, for the gospel to get to the nations of the world, including Australia. There's some of you in this room, God's told you you're called to plant. Now let's get planting. I mean, do it honorably, but honorably is listening to the Lord first and doing what He says, even if we're not on board. Now, we should be on board if He's in it, I'm just saying, but, but some of us have plans for you that the Lord doesn't have. So we've got to hear what the Lord's saying about you. Guys have said to me, oh, I'm not sure, like, it's convenient. I'm not sure I'm ready to plant. And I've said, have you had a baby? Yes. Are you ready for that baby? No. One guy said to me, he's about to plant in Perth. And he said to me, I'm not sure we're ready. I said, you've got a second child coming now, right? Or just had him, I think. I was like, are you ready for your first, let alone the second? He goes, no. I said, well, then go and plant. There's never a convenient time to have a child, is there? <laughs> the baby's coming. The baby's coming, ready or not. And can I say, church planting is coming, ready or not. So go and do what God's called you to do, within reason. But please, guys, some of us, have, we've been 
pre-COVID talked about it, and you all felt, and then you're still here again, I'm not sure. No, you're sure. The Lord's sure. Go do it. We need to help you. Let's multiply across Victoria. Let's plant some churches in Australia, not so we can get the job done for us, so we can do what He's called us to do. It's part of mission. Church planting, friends, is an effective long-term evangelistic strategy. Multiplication is embedded in the Great Commission. Church planting rises out of being faithful to the Great Commission. If you're pro-church planting, well, then you're pro-Great Commission. Church planting follows the New Testament pattern. Can I just say, we need to keep a culture of planting, not find a culture. Is that okay? That's fine. That's in the Bible. Number five. (laughs) Honestly, I'm, I'm here to tell us, Aussies, we need to get planting again. And I'm stoked for those. We've got Adelaide guys planting now. We've got some here. We've got there, Brisbane, Perth. I'm delighted. But how many know Australia's a big place? And then just so you know, there's a whole world out there that needs to be reached from Australia called Asia. Well, they come in here. No, we've been told to go there. From here, God has given your backyard is Asia. It's the most unreached region in the whole world. We can pray for them, but the Lord doesn't say pray for the harvest. He says pray that we will send harvesters to the harvest that is ready. So your city is awesome, and God wants to reach your city, but He also wants to reach this nation and the nations from this nation. From this room of a couple of hundred here, God's challenging us. This is the mandate from heaven. This is what we've got to contend for. Not all of us have to plant, but we all need to be involved in church planting because it's the outreach of Scripture to get everybody to know Jesus and find Jesus. People say, why do we need to plant churches? Well, mother birthing a baby doesn't birth a baby and leave the baby on the sidewalk. Pavement. Is that what you call it here? Footpath. Oh, gee, footpath. Well, it's not a car path, is it, you know? Okay, that place where you foot your... Okay, thanks. Footpath, car park, whatever your thing is. All I want to say is that no one births a child and leaves him on the sidewalk. So people say, oh, we get evangelists in and they come and preach and they get people saved. Praise God. What happens to those people? Well, we hope they find a church. It's like birthing a baby and saying within an hour of being birthed, go find a house. Go find a father and mother who will take care of you. Go find a church that preaches the Bible. Friends, are you nuts? Yeah, you are, man. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is we have to help them find that. We need to point them in the right direction. If you birth a baby, it's your responsibility, even spiritually. And if we can't find a church, well, here's the good news. We will plant a church in that moment. And our job isn't to just take care of them. It's to raise them up, to invest in them. And guess what? Good parents, once you've raised them up, is they leave your home and then they multiply and they have their own families. It's God's way in Scripture. But we've made it bizarre. I'm not sure. Uh, Anyway. Boys, time is up. You need to leave. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm, I'm only kidding. No, no. Yeah, stay here. All right. I'm coming with you. So... Number five, are you with me, friends? Please don't gloss over the church planting thing and say, oh, Tyron or NCMI, read the Bible. Read the book of Acts. You're gonna struggle to find any other effective strategy. Still God's way. Number five, contend for your relationships. Yeah. 
Contend for your relationships, for unity. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil, anointing poured on the head, authority, running down on the beard, maturity, running down on Aaron's beard upon the collar of his robe, as if the dew of Hermon were falling, a Mount Zion. It's unshakable Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows, commands, blessing, favor and protection, even life forevermore. Where there is unity, God commands it. Where there is no unity, good luck. You've got no way of seeing the blessing of God. And the devil's little strategies get us to keep these accounts and you owe me and you did. I mean, friends, even today, we probably offended each other. That's the way the devil speaks. The devil gets, and I'm just gonna ask for the sake of generations to come after us and for what God's called it, get over ourselves, get over yourself. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Dare trust that that was not their intention. If it was, it's their problem. But I've just watched again us take each other out. And in this region, you need to unite around purpose and around strategy and not agree to disagree because that's just a wonderful way of saying I don't agree. We've Christianized it. Oh, I don't agree. Let's agree to disagree. Paul said, let there be no divisions among you. Can I ask, is there no division in this room? Oh, I'll leave it there. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you all agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. It's in there. We've got to look out for each other. You know, we're co-laborers, not co-workers. We need to look out for each other. We need to build each other up. We need to come together. We need to contend for our relationship. Generations behind us are going to inherit the mess or the awesomeness of what we're a part of. This stuff, people offend me and I get offended by them and I know I offend others. They tell me regularly, daily. People want to leave and get, and I understand it, but, but I didn't put us together, God did. There's some of you that are hard to work with too, just so you know. I've got team members who also, by the grace of God, I would not be hanging out with them naturally. I sit with guys, I go, if it's not the call of God, we would not be together right now. But it is the call of God. And that's what keeps us together. And then I look at my sons, and when they get married, their children's children, and I want to say, I don't want my issues with someone to get in the way of their inheritance. I'm going to get over myself and get on with the gospel and work it out and give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And if they have a biblical issue with me, biblically, they should come to me. If they haven't come to me, we're golden according to Scripture. So I'm giving you the best. You're good. I'm good. Unless you hear from me, I'm good with you. And I haven't heard from you unless, yeah, okay. It's just, I really want to say, please hear this. Aussies, fight for your unity here. Not amongst just the churches, amongst our togetherness. Start with what we have, not what we want. And I've watched the devil get a foothold and begin to divide. And I get it, friends, because we are so different. We're personality different. We're gifting different, different gifts. God puts us all together and says, work it out. Surely we can work it out. Not for you, for the call and for the impact, for the blessing God's promised us. Number six. Contend for diversity, unity and diversity. And not the world's diversity. Our reach. I said, hold, hold 
calling tightly, but how it's expressed lightly. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41, 19 and 20. God says, I'll put in the desert the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I'll set junipers in the waste and fir and the cypress together. I'm going to take what doesn't belong. <laughs> it doesn't belong in the desert and doesn't belong together. I'm going to put it in the desert together. I'm going to take what doesn't fit and make it fit. I'm going to take what doesn't belong and make it belong. There's nothing natural about what's happening here today. If it's natural, we see the issues with each other. If it's supernatural, we see the hand of God in what we're doing. But he's saying, I'm taking what doesn't belong and I'll make it belong. And I'm going to take all sorts of trees, shrubs, and bushes and bang them all together and say, for the glory of my, my splendor, I'm going to make this happen. I don't fit there. Too many old people, too many young, too many of this, too many of that, too many Africans, too many South Africans, too many whatever your thing is. And I get it. South Africans are hard work. Sorry, guys. I was born in Zimbabwe, so Rhodesia. But anyway, all I'm trying to say is this. We have our thing and we have our reason why not to. But God puts everyone together and says, shine for my glory. And we need to celebrate diversity in this room and in other churches. Maybe we don't do it like that, but they do, so God bless them. Different generations. Don't tolerate the next generation. Celebrate them. Young guys, don't tolerate older people. Celebrate. Generations, cultures. Gee, you got some cultures in Australia. I was just in, uh, where were we? Adelaide. Listen, guys, I moved in Adelaide in 89. I'm just going to tell you, when I moved there, I was like the only foreigner. I went to school, in Amphoil Park High School, and I was from South Africa, and they said, South Africa. You mean there's lions? Seriously. Elephants on your street? I'm like, dude, what? But there were very few people that had read. Now, I've just been in Adelaide. I'm just trying to say, where's the Aussies? They're not there. It's every culture, every, and I, good. South Americans and all sorts. And I'm like, this is awesome. But how many of you know it's hard to celebrate cultures if you're not seeing God in it? We've got to celebrate cultures. We've got to celebrate generations. We've got to celebrate personalities. All those who are not like you, celebrate them. Can I say married and single? The church is so good at helping married people. There's so many. majority of Christians in America are single. There's no room for single people. Go do your single thing and we'll do marriage courses. Somehow, we've got to find room for all God's people and celebrate marriage and single, young and old, every color. Every, that's God's way, friend. And we celebrate them. Even if it's not your thing, it's His thing. And number seven, we need to contend for our shared reward, our shared future. I wanted to say just our future, but I've learned it's actually a shared future. It's wrapped up in him and each other. It's easy to say, there's my future, I'm going after it. But actually, my future requires you to go after your future. We shared in this. There's a shared inheritance. We are stronger together. That's not some Taylor Swift or whoever says that. I don't know. We're nations and generations. God is a God of nations and generations. Not just nations, generations. See, we think in months and years, but God is a God of generations. He's not thinking months and years. He's thinking generations. And so we need to give ourselves to all generations. Legacy is the outcome of a focused investment. 
I think legacy has to do with the past and destiny has to do with the future. If we want to have a legacy, we've got to let the next generation run with their destiny. Not when I'm finished, it's your turn. We run together. We don't step backwards. We step sideways and say, come run with us, all generations. Just remember, inheritance is what we leave for people, but legacy is what we leave in people. Some of us are so busy building something for the next generation, we forgot we're going to leave them an inheritance, but no legacy, because legacy is what you leave in them, not just what you leave for them. Jesus invested in others, not just left something for others. And so we've got to give ourselves to investing in all generations together and walk in the bigness of what God has for us. Are you with me? Which means we've got to keep laying down our vision and we've got to keep laying down our provision. We're going to keep laying down the promise to keep walking in the purpose that God has for us. But I want to just highlight as we land this, this thing on a greater reliance of the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm not making anything happen and I know God's moved and He can do whatever He wants, but but we so often talk about the Holy Spirit and go back and go home and He's become almost like a subject. He's not a subject, He's God. And I realize there's some weird stuff that comes and I realize that some people are in the flesh trying to pretend they're spirit, but within that, there's a lot of spirit and we need the Spirit of God in us afresh because we cannot do this with more flesh. I mean, we've seen what happens with a church that's full of flesh. Look at what's happened. And maybe you've been taught that the Holy Spirit stuff's kind of weird, so put it away. I get all that. But actually, read the Bible. You're going to struggle to find, put it away. In actual fact, there's more biblical backing for strange fire than no fire. But most of us are more comfortable with no fire than strange fire. I'm not saying let's be strange. And there is some weird stuff. I get that. Some of the charismatic, some of us, I don't know what I am. People say you're charismatic. Never. I don't even know what that is anymore because it's weird. I'm a follower of Jesus who believes the Bible, and I know that I cannot do anything without being empowered by the Holy Spirit daily. So you call me whatever you want, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm about the kingdom. The kingdom is about the Spirit. And maybe you've been taught it's no longer needed, and my pops grew up with being taught that it's no longer needed. My dad was born again into a movement or a thing that was taught that the Holy Spirit, tongues is of the devil. My dad was taught, if you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. Maybe some of you have been taught that. I'm not judging those who've taught you that. I'm judging their theology. He was told, you speak in tongues, you go to hell. So he did read the Bible. And he was told, like most seminaries, don't read the book of Acts. It's not relevant. It's irrelevant. Isn't that wonderfully Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then move across to some of them. Move the outworking of the Gospels and the church. But he did. He went against what his seminary teaches. And he read the book of Acts and he did read. And what he saw in the book of Acts and what he saw in the church was very different. And he was part of a movement where they dressed Batman and Robin and all the outfits. And that's what he said. And back to front. I'm not mocking. This is what, back to front. Uh, Dog collars and smoking handbags and reverence this. and I mean, it's bizarre for me because I've never experienced that. But he was part of that. That's what he was taught by good people. Just wrong theology. And he read the book of Acts. And when he was reading it, he was so stirred by what he saw and how he saw there's such a lack in the church that he's involved in. And he said to the Lord, I long for that. And the Lord filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak in tongues with all his garb on. In his parish, upstairs in the attic, wherever they hung out. No, I'm just, it, it was religion at its best, encountering the Spirit in reality. 
Now, that wasn't just weird, because some of us, oh, tongues is a bit weird. I'm not sure. I'll just sideline. Nah, nah. He, he was taught, you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. He taught that, because he was a pastor. And so he was overwhelmed by what happened. He spoke, and no one laid hands on him and said, Honolulu and Hawaii and Suzuki and all the nonsense that we teach people. Can I just say, if I can teach you heavenly language, it ceases to be a heavenly language. No one was there, just him crying out for what he saw in the Bible, and the Lord filled him, and he spoke in tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. So he called the moderator and said, whoa, we need a chat. So they came to him and said, what's happening? He said, well, according to you and us, I'm going to hell. What do you mean? Well, I, I was reading the book of Acts, which I know I'm not allowed to do, but it's in the Bible. I saw something, I longed for it, and God gave me it, and I, spe- I spoke in tongues. They were devastated. They were shocked. So they kind of thought about it for a while, and they said, okay, here's the deal. If you promise, to, and you sign an agreement, and promise never to do it again, we'll just pretend it never happened. I'm, I mean, listen, they're doing their best. I'm not mocking. What? Pretend this didn't happen. We can just carry on. And so my dad was like, listen, guys. I just want you to know something. God did this. I ain't signing nothing. I want this. And now that my eyes are open, why am I wearing this Batman and Robin outfit? Seriously. And why do they call me reverend when the Bible says call no man father? No. He just began questioning everything because suddenly the lights were switched on. He was speaking in this incredible opportunity that every believer has. There's no way I'm signing anything. This is God. And I want it all. If it's in the Bible, we go after. If it's not, we stay away. And the Word of God became the thing for him, the balance, the thing that he goes to. Not people, not structures, not systems. The Bible. If it's in there, it's ours. If it's not, stay away. You know, the most tragic thing about that story was the moderator said, You know, Dudley, the reality of what you say is true. You're right. But he said, but my pension's coming up next year or in two years' time. I'm not prepared to stand against it. I'll lose my pension. My dad pulled his robes off, put them on the floor. He said, I quit. I'm out. I can't be with people who know the truth but cannot acknowledge the truth. And so the story was we left. Meanwhile, we got the boot, really. They gave us the left boot of fellowship, and we were gone. And, and then we went to the Baptists. The Baptists, they welcomed us. They come. Moved interstate to Johannesburg and the Baptists. And the church was 10 people strong and all 10 were on the deacon board. And they were interviewing my dad, of which some of them are on our team today. Isn't that a miracle? And so they said, Dudley, what's your take on the gifts? He said, well, I got booted from the last thing, I believe. So they said, you hired. (laughs) And so we made room. Not gone after it. Not gone after it. It follows us. Not it as in the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders follow us as we are led by the Spirit and make room and yield to the Spirit for Him to be God in our lives. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for deluxe Christians. He's not. And I believe that every one of us in this room and every person who's saved has the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has every one of us. Because your salvation can't exist without the Holy Spirit. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, is allowing the Spirit to take control of us. And so we've been taught. We've been taught. That the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. And I'm going to tell you this. He's not. 
That's not what the Bible says. If it's a blessing from God, then we get to decide whether we want that blessing or not. The Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. So when you're rejecting the Holy Spirit, you're actually rejecting God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Same, one God, three persons. So when you say, I'm not, I love the Father, I love the Son, but the Spirit stuff, not comfortable, so move aside, you're rejecting God, the Holy Spirit. And you might have had a bad experience or no experience, and you can experience the Holy Spirit, but He's not an experience, He's God. And you might have seen some weird stuff, as ever, and I've seen a lot of the fake, and in the fake I've said, I don't want any of the other stuff. I'd rather have nothing than have fake. But the Lord challenged me. You don't have the right to reject the, God, the, uh, God the Holy Spirit in your desire for authenticity. Make room and watch. You can trust God the Holy Spirit. You can't trust anyone else, but you can trust God the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we can do this. It's impossible to believe we are called to walk in greater things, according to John 14. Greater things than Jesus did. How can you do that without His presence, without the Holy Spirit? You can't do it in your flesh. Jesus said, wait, you will receive. You cannot do this with authority. You must have power. Wait to receive. Not this dunamis power that blows everything up. It's got nothing to do with that. It's the ability. You need the ability to do what I've called you to do. So wait till you receive. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Please believe. How many believe Pentecost happened? Okay, if you don't put your hand up, you can't believe any of the Bible because it's in there. I know it's one chapter, we wish we could move Acts 1, Acts 3, let's move on. No, Acts 2 was while they were worshiping, the Lord said, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? It happened. No one told them how they're going to respond. No one told them they're going to all fall and worship. No one told them it's going to be like, it wasn't tongues of fire, like tongues of fire. No one said that. But when the Holy Spirit came as they were unified and worshiping, He came into that place and He baptized them and it seemed like tongues of fire on their heads. And they all, everyone in that room, not the preacher, not the couple of chosen frozen in the front who are really gifted, everyone in that room was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what the response was? They began to declare the praises of God. Authentic makes you honor Him. That's how we can tell the difference. Who's getting the glory for what's going on? If it's the preacher, it's not the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's getting the glory, it's not the Holy Spirit. His role is to point to Jesus, not to himself. So he's not our emphasis, but there's room for him so we can make much of Jesus. You can't make much of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. His role is to take what Jesus taught and make it known. Conviction. You want conviction? It's the Holy Spirit who brings that. Not a good preaching, the Holy Spirit. Tongues is for every one of you in this room. There's the gift of tongues, and then there's tongues. People ask, have you had the gift of tongues? I understand the break there. If it's a gift of tongues... It means that we need an interpretation. So if I stand up here and I declare something in tongues, then we need a translation because it's gifts are given to encourage others. But I'm not asking the gift of tongues. I'm saying we all get to speak in tongues. It's part of our salvation package. You don't have to. You're not saved by speaking in tongues. You're saved by believing in Jesus. But 
I'm one of those guys, like my shoes I keep using, like I don't go into the store and say, I want to buy those shoes, but remove the tongues. I buy those shoes and I get the tongues with the shoes. You get tongues? Seriously, you get tongues with the Holy Spirit when you baptize in the Holy Spirit. Are, are you there, friend? I'm not pushing tongues. I'm saying spirit-led, spirit-spoken, uh, but, but making room, so, so making space for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. He is God, as we said. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, one of the most text, uh, quoted texts, is, now it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So what we all say is wherever the Spirit is, there's free. That's not what he's saying because the Spirit is in this room and, and, and 200 of us are not all free. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. We don't need Pentecost again. It happened. We need to acknowledge it happened and make room. The same Spirit that showed up there is the same Spirit we have everywhere we go. What we need to do is not acknowledge the Holy Spirit. And what we need to do is yield because now I believe what he's saying is when you yield to the Spirit as Lord, there is freedom. If you just yield this afternoon, make room, watch what he can do, watch him fill you, watch you speak in tongues. It's part of, and, 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 and speaking in tongues is to edify me, not you. If, I, if, if it's a gift of tongues, then it's to edify you. But if it's, I speak in tongues every day. I spend lots of this morning speaking in tongues, knowing I'm coming to minister here. I want to build myself, edify myself up. So when I minister, it's not tiring, it's the spirit. So why would he, some people say, oh, I know you've got this, the gift of tongues, but I don't have it. Why would he give me the ability to build myself up and not you? Am I making sense? I know this is a whole message, but just get free, believe the word. And I'll, thank God for those who've gone before who did their best. Their hearts are, I don't believe their hearts are wrong. Their theology is wrong. My theology could be wrong. So you need to go read the Bible. But I'm just telling you, you're going to struggle to see what I'm saying not in there because it's in there. I've studied it because I've been challenged at every level by people saying it's not in there. It is there, and you're going to struggle not to see it. So how about we just make room for it in our lives and make room for God, the Holy Spirit, to take control and to take care. Some of us are in sin, and we're doing our best, and we're confessing it, and we're talking to one another and say, help me overcome my sin, Lord, and taking it back to the cross and all these great things. How about you allow the Holy Spirit to come and bring holiness in your lives? The fire of God will burn that because you can't do it in your flesh or claiming Scripture. I'm speaking as one who's walked through this personally where I've had to say, Spirit, help me with your Holy Spirit and bring fire of God to burn this nonsense out of me rather than I'm sorry, Lord, and I take it back to the cross and I'm no longer a stranger and a sinner. And just Holy Spirit, help. Comforter. Parakletos. The one that comes alongside us, the holy, the fire. When he comes, it's going to look like something, friend. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. We're not making anything happen, all right? We've got a few moments left. We're not making anything happen because I do not want flesh, and I certainly don't want to be the flesh guy here. But there is a fresh sense of the Holy Spirit wanting to baptize his people afresh. We talked about water baptism, and there's the tank. But we talk about spiritual baptism. The Spirit is here. And He will never force Himself upon anyone. But you can trust, not me, you can trust the Holy Spirit who's God. And so just make Him, just, 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 just for a moment. He'll never take over your world. He doesn't control you. You have to give Him that opportunity. 
But I do sense there's a ministry that He wants to do in us and over us and through us. And I do sense there's some people perhaps who've never spoken in tongues. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's about having the ability to build yourself up. But if you say, gee, tyrant, I've never spoken in tongues or I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to stand with you. And you already have the Holy Spirit. Let's ignite some of that reality in your life. Don't overthink it. If you think it, you won't live it. If you believe it from Scripture, from the Word of God, you can trust God. So just, just position yourself to receive for a moment. This is not about my prayers and what I'm asking. It's about you going to your Father. Didn't He say that? Just thirst, ask. Come, ask, and drink is basically what He said. Come to me is what He says. Ask and then drink. So we come to Him this afternoon. Now we're going to ask. Just ask. And then begin to drink. Just drink. Just drink. Just drink. Drink deep. The wells get filled again. Let there be an overflowing. No more flesh. Let the Spirit give birth to Spirit here. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.